0: Not such a hearty amen on that one. Okay, well, I know you mean it. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you or your electronic device with your Bible, let's hold those up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand hand. the powerful Word of God. God. It can change lives, lives, heal broken hearts, hearts, save save man's soul. soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Lord Jesus, today speak to me. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen. Now look over at your neighbor and give him a high five. (laughs) If you're by yourself, give yourself a high five. There you go. Reach around and give somebody a five. Okay. Now look at your neighbor and say, I love you. That's the first smile a lot of you put on your face a long time <laughs> Need to do it more often, don't we? Tell each other we love you. It used to, used to frustrate me when men seemed to do it more than women, that the woman would say, I love you, and he'd say, ditto. That <laughs> nah, doesn't have much luster to, to me, you know. I want to hear about that lathered-up loving stuff, amen? When Kelsey kisses Jeffy. What what, is, what does she call it, Misty? Juicy smooch. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> Jeff wants a juicy smooch. And she goes, oh, Gampaw, juicy smooch. Uh. <laughs> I hope she always feels that way. Don't give juicy smooches to anybody but Jeff. Brother Dean. Uh, because I want to three words that a lady always <laughs> loves to hear when she comes home. Yes, sir. Let's eat out. His dear wife, Marianne, who's with Jesus now, taught him well, did she not? <laughs> Life in the Trenches is our series we've been doing. Today is the last message in our series. The title today is Why Isn't Life Fair? We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, so I want you to get those Bibles there, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, and I wanted to start with some statements about why life isn't fair. I thought you might enjoy these. They were attributed to Bill Gates in a speech that he gave to a group of high school kids in California, but there's no proof that he actually did this. So whoever wrote these, they're really good. So I don't know who to give credit to, but it wasn't Bill Gates. Nobody can verify that, but let's listen to them anyway. And actually, there's 11 rules about life, and here's number one. Rule number one, life is not fair, so get used to it. Rule number two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. The world will expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Rule number three, you will not. Make $60,000 a year right out of high school. You won't be a vice president with a car phone until you earn both. Car phone, right? See how old this list is. Rule number four, if you think your teacher's tough, wait till you get a boss. Rule five, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. And in this day and age, there's... Folks that need a job, go flip some burgers. Rule six, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes, learn from them. Rule number seven, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. They got the way you're, they got that way from paying your bills, cleaning your clothes, and listening to you talk about how cool you thought you are. (laughs) So before you save the rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try, uh, How about cleaning the closet in your own room? (laughs) Rule number eight, your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. In some schools, they have abolished failing grades and they give you as many times as you want to get the right answer. doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Rule number nine, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Rule number 10, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. Rule 11, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. (laughs) So why isn't life fair? Boy, oh boy, is that not an age-old question? Life's tough, isn't it? I used to tell my children growing up, life is full of choices, and every choice you make has a residual consequence, one good or one bad, but it's going to happen either way based on what you choose. Teach Public Schools, I don't know if they still do this, but at one time they used to say, they'd talk about character development and they'd say... uh, at the end, they'd um, uh, say, Attitude. It's a choice. And you make the choice. You make the choice whether you have a good attitude. You make the choice whether you're going to work hard. You make the choice whether you're going to lay in bed all day. And something strange happened to me Saturday morning. I got up. My wife was already up. I thought, This isn't right. She never gets up before I do. I thought the rapture had come. And I've been left behind. But I went to the living room only to find her in there. Praise God. And I said, what are you doing up? She said, oh, well, you were snoring, so I got up. I'd like to hear that snoring with my sleep apnea mask on. That would have been interesting to hear. But life is not fair sometimes, is it? I got up this morning, got to start my car like I've always started, right? Wrong. It went, huh. Not a good sign. And when it's real early on Sunday morning, when I get up here, it's really not a good sign. Life's not fair. I should be able to start that car as the pastor of the church every Sunday and that thing just fire up and go. Amen? I don't understand. God let me down today. It's God's fault. Amen? Well, Walmart and I are good friends. (laughs) God's grace in verse 1 of Matthew 20, our text. God's grace provides work for man. Let's take a look here. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner. It's God who provides work for us, who gives a vineyard to be tended. Without God, there would be nothing. If you have a job, rejoice. There are thousands who do not. Seems like here in the Midwest or in the South, we've fared a bit better than most But it's devastating when you've been out of work for so many weeks. God's grace, in the latter part of verse 1, you see God's grace seeking and calling men to, to work. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. It is God who goes out seeking and calling men to labor. It's not the workers who come to God. God's the one going to find the workers. And so God has established a principle. And that principle is, He comes for us, so we should go for Him. Part of the work we do is to go for God. When someone needs to find Christ, we shouldn't sit back and instantly say, well, somebody else will tell them. No, let's go tell them. Now, once I've told them, I've done my responsibility. I have to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Well, preacher, I I talk to people all the time and they just reject it. They blow it off. There's a price to pay for that. They just don't understand it yet. But if we get them to, to be honest... They do that with a lot of things in their life. The Things they're supposed to do. They blow them off. Dads blowing off being dads. Moms blowing off being moms. Husbands not being husbands. Wives not being wives. And this verse, it says that the call came early. And when the call comes early, there's eager beavers, I call them, willing workers waiting for that early call. Now I'm an early riser. How many of you are early risers? How many of you not so early risers? How many prefer noonish? There you go. There you go. How many of you get to actually practice that noonish thing? That's kind of what I thought too. Well, of course, California time back there. What do you know? Okay. Oh, listen, Cindy's a late in the morning person because she's st- she's one of these late night people. She just she reads till whenever, and eventually collapses in bed. And here we go. Okay, but this call comes early. In fact, we're going to see five different times that the landowner calls for help. But when the employer who asks laborers to join the workforce meets with these people, he he encounters several different responses first there are those willing and eager workers they're always out early needing needing and looking for work i mean these are people who are hungry man whatever you need to do i'll get it done they're wanting to work second group they encounter those are what christ calls the idol they have little if any interest in all at work they're simply there because it's a place to meet people to pass the time for those people they should work in a place like starbucks because there's really not a lot of work going on there. There's a whole lot of talking going on there. And they should be the ones that's sitting out there at the table because they're just not really... If you don't have a laptop or an iPad, you shouldn't go into Starbucks. There's no reason for you being there. And if you don't like... If you can't say... There's no reason for you to order coffee. I'll go in there and they'll say, What do you want, sir? And I'll say, Oh, just a regular, mild coffee. And they look at you like, Really? This is Starbucks. What are you doing here? Because I can't say that muff a lot of a lot of a lot of whatever that stuff is. I did get one of them one day though. It tasted really good. I bet my blood sugar went. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then there's this group that are the self seekers, the pleasure laborers. They move around questioning each boss about what kind of works to be done. And, and, If the work sounds too difficult or not enjoyable or pleasing, they refuse. They choose to wait for something better suited for them. But if later in the day nothing comes along that satisfies them, well, they're willing to work for that earlier boss that they talked to. Then there's that slothful group of laborers. They're just plain lazy, not interested in a full day's work. They prefer lying around being loose and unobligated rather than exerting the energy and effort required by work. You ever met somebody, they're at your job, you're doing the work, you're doing the work for them because they're over there at their desk trying to find themselves. Frustrating, isn't it? Then there's those complacent workers, the slow movers. They sleep late, move slow. They're always late to work. They just can't seem to get there At the right time for work. Does that frustrate you? Oh, I'm telling you. Now, moms who work outside the home and are trying to raise children, you have an out. You do. But you dads ought to help some too. That might help mom get to work. Well, I got to go work a whole lot earlier than she does. Well, there's a reason for that. Because you don't want to deal with that kid in the morning. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, there we go. Or you can go to work like Jeff Parmenter, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. He's lost his mind. God's not even up at that hour. How do I know? It's dark. <laughs> he didn't get up when it's dark. But these these slow movers, complacent laborers, they, they could care less if they miss better opportunities. They're just not able to get up enough to meet any kind of immediate need. And then... There are those laborers who are just weak failures. They go to work at jobs that appeal, that appeal to them, but they discover the jobs are hard and difficult, so they walk away from those commitments and return to the marketplace for something easier that might come along. Now, there are some jobs that you do that you're not suited for. Amen. Got gotcha. you. Got gotcha. you. But what's the old phrase, don't give up one till you have another one? That could also play in there son, but you know, there's just some times that you, you get into a job that just doesn't work for you. It's okay. Being eager is what's important and being ready and being responsive. Now look at verse 2. The uh, boss agrees to pay the normal daily wage and sends them out to work. These workers are shown grace, promised a full wage, then he sends them into the vineyard Their belief preceded their work. He promised and they believed and served. God's call to us is by grace, not by works. God's call to us for salvation is by faith before we ever see it happen. Their time of service was the day which I think in this story symbolizes a lifetime. When the day or life is ended, the willing workers would receive the promise of that landowner. They would be rewarded exactly what he had promised, and the reward would be theirs forever. You notice that he doesn't give them a specific amount. He just says, I'll pay you for a day's work. There's two things that encourage them to stick with the work. They had only, first of all, they only had a short period of time to labor. And when you think about it, life is really short, is it not? seems like when you cross one age threshold, it seems to click along pretty quick. I watch it in students, especially if they're junior, seniors, and high school seniors. It's really rough on because they'll get through the fall semester, seem like a grind, and then they turn into January, and boy, it looks like it's really going to accelerate to May, right? Only to get to spring break, and you don't want to go back. (laughs) You don't want to go back. But just think about the teachers. They didn't want to go back the second week they were there. But they only had a short period of time to labor. Secondly, they had the presence of the landowner himself. You see, that boss was among them. He was constantly encouraging them, fellowshipping with them, reminding them of the promise. I've given you other verses to look at later in your private devotional time, so be sure and do that. Now look at verse 3. At 9 o'clock in the morning, second call, He was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he calls to the latecomer, to the idle, to the slothful, to the self-seeking, to the complacent. Verse 4, so he hired them telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. He didn't give an amount, he just said what's right at the end of the day. So this landowner, again, showing grace, gives them a challenge and a promise of a just wage and... Some responded. Some gave. Some said, okay. The promise of a reward is promised, but not that amount. He says, whatever is right. A person who does not respond to God until later in life must simply trust God to be fair and just. You see, if you wait and wait and wait, and I've met many who've waited to the 11th hour to come to Christ. Some have said Steve Jobs, who was devout, non-believer in God at the 11th hour found God. I've not read the story completely, so I don't know. It's just the words I'm hearing. But it wouldn't surprise me at all because there are very few atheists in foxholes. When death is knocking on your door, all of a sudden, if you say, if you don't believe in God, but death's knocking on your door, and you say, well, <laughs> then you're giving the possibility of there really is a God, right? Well, I'm here to tell you there is a God. And He's alive and well. And He can control your finances. He can control your family life. He can control your love life. He can control every part of your life if you'll but let Him. He's alive and well. He's never gotten off the throne yet. So Christian, rejoice. (coughs) Christian, relax. Verse 5, so they went to the work in the vineyard at noon and again at 3, he did the same thing. (coughs) So we see four calls to workers. The landowner shows he's constantly calling, showing grace on a continual basis. But I want you to know three things about the constant call of God. First of all, it is God's great compassion for all of us that keeps Him calling for us. Secondly, the calls of God are limited. In our text today, four calls have been issued up till now. There is only one more to go. Only five calls in a day, Which represents in our life, God's movement, His Spirit does not always strive with man. And then thirdly, the calls of God become dimmer and dimmer and less forceful with the rejection after rejection and rejection of each call. Why do you find people rejecting your invitation? Because they've rejected it before. Why do you find people who don't want anything to do with church? Oh, I got hurt one time. Oh, I had a bad experience. Well, great, that wasn't this church that gave you that experience. It was that church that did. It wasn't this preacher. It was that preacher. So are all of us the same? No, we're not. Now, if you're looking for flash, if you're looking for high power, if you're looking for all those things... We're probably not yet. But if you're looking for a group of people who are imperfect, striving to do life together, working in the grace of God and grateful for the forgiveness we find at the foot of the cross, then you found the right church. Amen. Verses 6 and 7. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. So he asked them, why haven't you been working today? In verse 7, they replied, because no one hired us and the landowner told them then go out and join the others in my vineyard the final hour the final call that eleventh hour call to the idol in the latter part of verse 6 he strongly reprimands them and then in verse 7 they come up with the excuses and the landowner shows grace issues this challenge and promises a just wage or a just reward But look what happens to the man who waits until the 11th hour. God will reprimand them. There's no excuse for waiting. I never will forget, unless my mind goes somewhere it shouldn't go, but I hope I never forget conversations that I have with people in this 11th hour. These are people who've been believers. They've been believers all their life. They maybe haven't been in church like they should, and they probably haven't done the things that God would call them to do. They haven't done much evangelism. They haven't done much teaching or inviting. They've just kind of been with the Lord and believed in Him, but just didn't do much with it. And yet in that 11th hour, as I have these conversations with them, the thing they want to know the most is, am I going to get to go? am I going to get to go? Well, if it's not important, why are they even asking the question? It's because it is important. And I want you to know, person after person after person, when I tell them, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we'll confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't know that verse, you need to know it, 1 John 1, 9. Because see, once we've messed up, we can take that to God and God in an instant can restore what the locusts have eaten away. Is that not a powerful promise? And so when I encounter these folks in that 11th hour, I want to encourage them. I want to help them. God strongly reprimands them. No excuse for behavior Secondly, they excuse themselves. No man has hired us. They lie and deceive their own hearts. Oh God, nobody ever told me about God. Now you're lying. Somebody told you. Maybe you didn't hear it. Didn't have time for it. Rejected it. Thirdly, God shows grace despite their deceptive excuses. So even though they gave excuses at 5 o'clock for not working, God still showed grace. And what's worth noting here is the fact that nothing is said about how many responded. Just think, how many actually would respond and go out for just one hour's work? Because the end of the day was at six o'clock. According to the Jewish calendar, Jewish time frame. How many would be willing to trust after rejecting four other calls? On a single day. Well I would say not many would respond. A man does not often know when the 11th hour is. Few know when they are to die. Much less when God will call for that last time. But a man in the 11th hour has little time to serve. A man in the 11th hour has rejected call after call. And it becomes very hard hearted. Little softness and sensitivity is left to respond to the call of God. No matter how forceful that preacher can be. I've had, I've had wives ask me to go to their husbands who are lost and to, and to preach hellfire and damnation to them. And I will not do that. I will go to that person and I will talk to them about the love of God. And then I will say to them, don't reject God's love because there is a price to pay. And I want them so much to say, well, what price is that? That's what I want. Then I can get the hellfire and brimstone. But if I walk in and I start, you're going to hell, boy! Yeah, I'm going to have a captive audience, amen? <laughs> and there's times when I'd love to do that and just quit wasting my time, amen? But I need to go in at least to try to establish a relationship. Jesus was all about relationships, wasn't he? And when he got the relationship, boy, then he zinged them, right? That's why he'd feed them first. And then he'd let them have it. Well, you can take your Bible and throw it at them. It might work. But what would be great is if you open your Bible and sit down with them and say, Can I show you something exciting? I've got to show you something that God showed me today. You're going to respond to that, aren't you? I believe you would. God's grace pays the promised wages at that appointed time at the end of the day look at verse 8 that evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them beginning with the last workers first when is that appointed time in the evening a death when all labor ends the the foreman the steward is christ and the one who god has committed all judgment to him Verses 9 and 10, When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. God's grace pays everyone out of a heart of love and care. He cares for His servants no matter how old or how long they've been serving Him. A day's wage was necessary to meet their needs. He would have no servant go away without at least that much. Verses 11 and 12, when they received their pay, they promised to the, to the owner, or protested to the owner. Verse 12, those people worked only one hour and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Keep going. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? When you get to heaven, there are going to be people in heaven that you never dreamed would be there. And they're going to look at you and never dreamed that you would be there. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And I'm so glad that God's grace is equal. The land at the foot of the cross is level. None better, none worse. We're all there for a reason. And God's justice will reign. will be supreme in paying what He promised. Look at verse 16. So those who are last now will be first then. Those who are first will be last. Remember that these disciples needed assurance of their salvation. So Jesus is teaching this story to give them assurance and promise of the reward of ruling and reigning with Him and living forever. But Christ wanted them to know that they could not judge others for they could not tell what was within a man. Not for sure. They did not know who was to be highly rewarded and who wasn't. Who would have thought that the willing and eager laborers who immediately responded to the Lord would expose this grumbling, jealous spirit. And yet we see it in the church all the time when people try to serve and others who've been there at that church for a while get upset because this new one's serving and that other one has been sitting there for so long and refusing to do anything. Praise God, somebody wants to do something. Amen. Amen. Man, we ought to jump up and shout hallelujah, put arm in arm and say, let me help you. Let me help you. Amen. Yeah, that's what we ought to be doing. But it's easier to sit back and take pop shots. The last shall be first. And many of the latecomers will outstrip us unless we are eager and passionate in serving God. I say this all the time because it's true if you'll just stop and be honest with yourself for one minute. When you came to Christ, there was a joy in you that you you couldn't stop. Amen. I mean, there was a, oh, wow, you had to tell somebody. You had to get out there and tell somebody. Everybody you talked to, you said, man, I found Jesus. Because you assumed they were going to be open vessels and go, whoa, man, I want to find him too. And you got out there and you said, hey, man, I found Jesus. And they said, so what? You a holy roller now? Holier than thou? And am, I, am I hitting home yet? So they start to take a notch or two out of us. And then we get to church and we're brand new, right? We're excited. We've got, we finally got a Bible and we went to a bookstore and we got a Bible. We didn't know which one to get. So we just got one that looked big and heavy. <coughs> Cause that's what we're supposed to do. And maybe if the church budget is up enough, they gave me one with my name put on it. How? I've never read this book. Pages all stuff together, but man, it looks pretty, doesn't it? So I'm going to carry it around and you get to church and you've got yours and you're sitting there and you're looking at those people who've been Christian a long time and you're waiting for them to open their book so you can find out where do you open your book and what do they do? They don't bring their book. Well, you're the new Christian you've got your book but they don't bring their book. How come they don't bring their book? Well, I've been through it several times, preacher. Oh, okay. Well, then you ought to really know it if you've been through it. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. And then we sing. We're supposed to sing praises to God, amen? Our voice is lifted to heavenly, to our heavenly Father. Oh, victory. That ought, man, that will be a stand up shouting song, amen? And the one I use all the time that you love so much. There will be sunshine in my soul today more glory and bright there's sunshine in my soul today ought to be a smiling thing Amen. Yeah. Hmm. Dwight L. Moody said I am only one but I am one I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. And with that simple statement, God used this man to bring revival, not only to America, but to England as well. Bob Dylan, how many of you know that name? Wrote a song years ago. He may be an ambassador to England or or France, You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. So I'm asking you today. Who do you want to serve? When were you called by the landowner? By the owner of the vineyard? When were you called? how's it been since then? Are you still as excited today as you were that day? Were you the eager, willing, laborer, worker? Are you that one that's hoping to get in on the 11th hour? Well, preacher, we fall somewhere in between. At least we're at church today. Them other ones, they don't even come today. There's that grumbling spirit, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. You show by the way you act. You show where you are by how you live. You show where you are by how much grace you share and show because of the measure of it that you've received. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I ask you today. There's times when preachers will say, I've been preaching to the choir. And yet, God, I know that there's people in this room this morning Who need to fall on their knees and call out to you. Oh I would agree that they've. Done what it needs. They need to do to. Be saved. They made a confession of their faith. They stood before men and. Said that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. Went on and were and buried those sins in baptism to rise to walk in a new life I know they've done that Lord and there was one time that Jesus they served you so faithfully there was never a need at the church that needed to be met that they didn't instantly step up and say they would at least try and God over the years over the years for whatever reason they've lost that enthusiasm they've lost that spark they've lost that desire so I'm praying Father today that you will do in just one person just one person that they will step out and say I need to do more I need to get back into the labor field I need to get back in the vineyard I've been sitting on the sideline for too long God I'm praying there will be one person who will say you know I've never claimed Jesus as my personal savior and today I want him in that way God, would they let us know that so we can sit down and study with them, open your word and teach them so they understand what that means to make that decision? Is there one person, God, who would say, preacher, you can count on me. Whatever you need, you call and I'll do my very best to make it happen. You see, Father, I'm offering the invitation. And after the invitation, the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to move into the hearts of your people in this room, including me. And will we be found worthy? Will we be found eager and willing? Will we want to let you be what you need to be in each of us or will we just do what we usually do and say man that was a great sermon wow and walk out the door to be seen next week same time same place oh God that we would change oh God that we would Fall on our knees and call out to just one person. Just one person today. In Jesus' name we pray.